And I'm in a series on breakthrough for families, why God ordained the family. Today is different. Today, I want us to pray for families. That's going to be the specific focus. I will not preach long. I've mentioned already that in this series, we've had a number of divorces literally canceled. Others who were divorced got back together as a result of being in the series and hearing the word of God. And to God, I give all the credit and the praise for that. People that have been in serious conflict and haven't even spoken to each other in years, estranged from one another, have gotten back together. I'm talking about family members who would not speak to each other. That has been overcome in the course of this series. Why? Not because of me, but because when God emphasizes a word, it contains the seed of that anointing that will produce what that word is about. Now, I want to speak to us today from this subject because miracles are about to happen in this room. I genuinely believe that. And some of you have come for that very reason. My subject this morning is saving your family. Saving your family. Hebrews 11 and 7, the Word of God says, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, Prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Say that with me. Saving of his household. By which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. The NIV says, the new uh, international version says, instead of the saving of his household, it says to save his family. Saving your family. Father, I pray today that you'll speak to every person that is here Because this building is filled with people that are trying to make marriages and relationships work. And sometimes we need your help. Lord, I'm asking you to touch every man in this building, every woman, every family that is struggling, every husband, every wife. There are people throughout this building who are not married yet that still need to hear what will be talked about today because somewhere in the future... The tools that we're going to share from your word are going to be invaluable to them and the relationships that you will provide in their future. And I'm asking you to send an anointing to the word as I've described a while ago that it can produce the result of families being saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. I usually like to use a lot of humor when I'm talking about things like families. I'm not going to do that today. Because the focus is altogether different. I want to talk about things that will help you literally save a marriage that's on the rocks. I don't need to tell you that these are very challenging times for families. In today's world, you deal with the stresses of jobs and careers, the challenges of raising children. Anybody in this room have any teenagers in the house? Don't raise your hand right now. If they're sitting beside you, they'll feel like you're saying, yeah, I know what he's talking about. Before I've even said it. But you have challenges. Money problems. A society that's rapidly changing. Did you ever think that some of the bedrock principles and fundamentals of society would be called into question the way they have recently? People are telling us it's okay to throw away all the values that our parents and grandparents told us were necessary for us to have respectable and profitable lives. The pressures created by all of this and the stresses are unbelievable. 
Some families just simply don't survive the pressure. They don't. And I want you to know that the enemy is working very hard to harm and destroy what is precious to you. If there's any weakness in your commitment to God or to your family, be sure the enemy is like a bloodhound. He's on the trail trying to find where that weakness is that he can exploit it. He will take the tiniest of cracks and he'll widen it into a fissure and create a chasm where there used to be unity all because of one little crack, one little weakness. Jesus told Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I'm old enough that I remember my grandmother sifting wheat when I was a kid as she raised me and sifting the flour. And what you do is you separate it, in that case, from things that you didn't want to to be in the cake or whatever it was, the bread that you were baking. But in this particular application, what Jesus is saying, the devil is wanting to separate you from what's valuable in your life. That means that He's out to cause division. Are you hearing me? That's what that means. Division in your life. The single most effective strategy the enemy uses today to bring hurt to people is to attack their relationships. Nothing is as painful as a relationship that is under fire and under stress. And with the values of today coming from Hollywood rather than the word of God Many families have never been taught to work their way through an issue until it is resolved. They fall apart. They just give up. They throw up their hands. Marriages are disposable commodities in many people's minds. And they were raised to believe that. Just the other day, about a month ago, I guess it was, it was announced that for the first time in American history, the divorce rate is now declining. And all the sociologists applauded that fact until... The research team said, no, it's not something you want to celebrate. The reason that there are fewer divorces, it's declined slightly, is because more and more people have given up on marriage altogether and don't intend to get married. They're not getting married to get a divorce. First marriages, 50% of them in the divorce. Second marriages, 67%. Third marriages, 74%. The future for relationships if you don't know what you're doing and have the word of God to guide you, can actually be very bleak, very bleak. You can enter into a relationship with the best of intentions, and the next thing you know, you're gripped in the middle of something that's tearing your life apart. And you say, well, pastor, I mean, who wants to raise a family in a world like this today? And, I, I, and after having said all that I've said, I want to very quickly say, in spite of that, I would not be afraid to raise a family if I were you. All of our young couples, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to get married if you're not in a marriage right now and you, you're, you're not, you do not have a relationship just yet. Don't be afraid. And the reason I say that is because if you follow the principles of this book, it still works. They still will guide you through. Amen. You don't have to be fearful for your children and your grandchildren. You can't live with a spirit of fear gripping your heart. God's grace always abounds in a greater measure to the need that exists for it. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a banner against him. Amen. 
But you have to fight for your family. And I want to get that straight right up front. You have to fight for your family. To have a committed marriage and to be faithful, you've got to fight. You've got to fight some issues in your own life. If you do, God will fight for you. But I want you to understand, husband, you've got to fight for that wife. Wife, you've got to fight for that husband. And both of you together have to fight to save your children. My purpose today is to inform you that if you're a family in crisis, the good news is you can survive it. I wish somebody would say amen. And not only can you survive it, you can be stronger than ever. Your family, your children, your marriage can be the envy of the community that you live in, even the envy of the church that you attend. You don't have to throw it all away and give up just because you're in crisis. There is something you can do. And I want us to go to the Word of God because the Scripture tells us that Noah was moved with godly fear because of what his family was facing. He acted whenever the threat was present. He decided to do something about it. He built an ark. He acted to save his family, not just himself. He wasn't thinking only of his own future. He was thinking about those he loved. And he decided that I need a place where my family can be sheltered. And there's the key word. Sheltered from the storm that's coming. There's not a dad in this room that doesn't understand the language that I just used. Because you want to you shelter your family. There's not a mother here that, that doesn't understand this. Noah saved his family and he didn't let them perish. But what strikes me is not every husband, not every father... Not every wife or mother acted to save their families. There were very many of them that perished. Some did nothing. They were too busy partying, doing their own thing, and their families were destroyed. But for 100 years, the scripture said that Noah worked to build an ark. And I want to ask you, are you willing to take the steps necessary to save your family and your marriage and make it work? Are you willing to do that? The real question is, how much work and effort is your family worth? That's the assessment you've got to make going into it. That my family is worth whatever it takes. For Noah, that was 100 years of of manual labor, but my family's worth it. And for you, you're not going to build an ark necessarily, a boat in your backyard for a storm that may, may come. We've had our share of them here in Houston, and God knows last year it looked like we all needed one. But the truth of the matter is that's not what you're going to have to struggle with to save your family. You're going to have to work in another kind of way. Noah took a stand for righteousness, and because he did, in the middle of all of the, of the immorality and everything that was going on and the, the perversity of the age, because he took a stand for righteousness, he found grace, and there it is. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord, the Bible said. When you stand for your marriage, you will find his grace too. When you stand for your family... You will find his grace. Amen. Our kids are dealing with things that you and I didn't have to deal with when we were growing up. Come on, be honest. They face issues that you and I did not have to face. On the other hand, you and I as adults face things that our parents didn't have to face as adults. Our grandparents didn't have to face. But if you will stand for righteousness, the grace of God will help you. I want to give you several quick points and then we're going to pray 
about how to save your marriage. Number one, this is the first thing you do. Stop fighting. Everybody just say that with me. Stop. 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 Call a truce. Halt the hemorrhaging. Let the emotions cool down. Even in a war, before they have a declaration of peace, they declare a ceasefire. How are you going to keep from tearing your marriage apart if you're constantly fighting? And sometimes it isn't what you say that matters most, but it's your silence that counts. Your silence. When Israel marched around Jericho, it was their silence as much as their shout on the seventh day that brought them the victory. God said, you march him for seven days, don't say anything. When you can march around a problem and not say anything. When you can pass it in the kitchen and keep your mouth shut. When you can pass it in the hallway. Come on, help me out now. And not allow the problem. You know what it is. You're identifying it. You're walking around it. Israel marched around it seven days. You know there's a problem, but can you keep your mouth shut? They didn't talk. It takes a strong person to walk around your problem for seven days and not say a word. But here's what you need to understand. When you start acting like God, he backs away. But when you let him be God, he steps forward. And he does what you can't do. Oh, somebody ought to bless his name right now. So I'll just say this. Shh, shh, shh. That's the first step to saving your family. The second is love on each other. And I didn't say love each other. I said love on each other. There's a big difference. Many a husband loves his wife but never expresses his love to her. And she's dying on the inside wishing that he would. Many a wife loves her husband but, he, but never acts on it, never tells him, never expresses her gratitude for his hard work and the way he provides for his family. Many a parent loves their teenager and their teenager loves them, but they never take the time to express it. Don't just love your family, love on your family. Love on your family. The magic of the human touch, of an embrace, means so much. And whenever you are in the middle of a crisis, the last thing you want to do is hug somebody. You want to touch them, but not like that. (laughs) Just the other night, Jensen Franklin told a story in a service I was in about a man that was very, very dear to me, T.F. Tinney, Tommy Tinney. You all know Tommy, author of The God Chasers. We bring him in once a year so His dad was like a spiritual father to many, many of us. I was actually going to have him do the dedication of this building. That was my plan, to contact him and have him come and do the dedication of the building. We had thought about Jensen. He couldn't come. And so I I thought of Tom Fred. But before we could do that, Tom Fred went home to be with the Lord. And I... I saw Thetis, his wife there, the, at that, that service the other night where Jensen was speaking, dedication of a new building for some friends of ours. And whenever <laughs> Jensen told the story, I related so well to it. He said, Tom Fred called him. His family was in crisis, in the middle of severe crisis, but Tom Fred called. And whenever Jensen said, hello, Tom Fred in his inimitable Louisiana 
voice said, Jensen, the Lord said to hug your, your kids. Click, and he hung up the phone just like that. <laughs> Jensen said the last thing he felt like doing was hugging his kids. He said there was one of them he felt like murdering at that moment. But he said he went and he wrapped his arms around them, and when he did, it broke, and they began to weep because sometimes what you need to do is love on your family. Don't just love them, love on them. Wrap your arms around them. Love on them. Third, make your home the dwelling place of God. All of us know that we're the temples of the Holy Spirit. But there's a concept that's been forgotten that the old-time Christian folk used to understand. And maybe some of you can relate. I remember going into the homes of some of the old believers. See if this, this speaks to you. And when you walked in the door, there was a calmness and a presence. There was a peace that was there. It's like you had stepped into the presence of God, like you had stepped into church. Nowadays, you walk into homes, television blaring in one corner, music in the back room, somebody hollering at somebody over there, and it's so filled with conflict. Acts chapter 2, I used to preach this all over literally the world when I was an evangelist, and I would ask the obvious question because in Acts chapter 1, it says there were 120 members in the upper room, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the apostles. Acts chapter 2 says, and the Holy Spirit fell, and all of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. And I would ask the question, how many people, are not people, how many received? That's the question I would ask. How many were filled with the Holy Spirit? And everybody knew their Bible, of course, and would say, well, that's easy. It's 120. And I would say, no, it's not. That's not the correct answer. It's 121. Because Acts chapter 2 begins, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Before it filled them, it filled the house. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? Fill your house with the presence of God. One reason we have problems is our homes are battlegrounds. Oh, I'm preaching to you right now. Obed-Edom, the ark was on its way from the house of Abinadab. David had called for it, and, and because of what happened when someone reached out a hand to steady it, they were killed on the spot. They were carrying it the wrong way, and so it went to the house of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom, his house was blessed because the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolizes the manifest presence of God, it was in his home. And do you know when David came, was it three months later, I believe, and carried it up to Jerusalem? I'll preach about that as as I start my new series on transferring the glory. But when they carried it to Jerusalem, this is what is amazing. Obed-Edom went with it. He was not of the tribe of Levi. I'm going to really blow your mind. He was a Gittite. Do you know what a Gittite was? It was somebody from Gath. You know what Gath was? It was a city of the Philistines. He wasn't even a Levite, but even more, he wasn't even a child of God until the Ark of the Covenant came into his house. He was a Philistine, but when he moved to Jerusalem, he became a doorkeeper in the house of God. They adopted him into the family of the Levites. Not only did they adopt him into the family of the Levites, he had 70 children and descendants and grandchildren All of them came and they became doorkeepers in the house of God. When you get in the house of God, it changes everything for future generations.
It changes everything for generations to come. When you had turned your home into a temple for God to abide instead of a battleground. Future generations of your grandkids will someday look at you and say, Grandma, Grandpa, the reason I'm serving God is because you kept God real in our house. You kept the presence of God there. Amen. Amen. On the other hand, did you know that Ahab and Jezebel also had 70 descendants? Did you know that when God overthrew their wicked government, Jehu cut off the heads of all 70 of those. So you have 70 that were Philistines who shouldn't even have been a part of the house of God that became adoptees into the tribe of Levi. And then you have 70 who were of the family of God who got so far from God that the actions of their parents caused them to lose their lives. What are you doing? I want to ask you, what are you doing? What are you doing for future generations of your own kids? What are you doing? What kind, of, what kind of course are you setting? Number four, let God change your heart. And I'm just about done here. You know what? If you're going to save your family, you're going to have to be honest. Something caused the crisis you're facing. It didn't just happen. Something caused it. Whether it's you dad or you mom or you teenager... Something caused the crisis that you're facing right now. And you've got to be willing to let God change your heart. You stepped across the line somewhere. And you know what? Our human pride and arrogance gets in our way because we don't know how to say, it's me that's standing in the need of prayer, Lord. Sometimes saying you're sorry is the hardest thing that you will ever do in your entire life. It takes more strength to say you're sorry than you can possibly imagine. But can I give you some good advice? From this stage in my life, having been married all these years to the same woman, can I tell you something? Do it anyway. Say you're sorry anyway. You say, but I'm not the one that caused the problem. If you're all bowed up and you can't, you can't soften your heart and your attitude, you can apologize for that if nothing else. Let God soften your heart. Don't become cold and indifferent. If you let your heart become calloused, You can get to where you don't feel anything anymore. You won't feel anything. You won't feel pain. You won't feel sorrow. You won't feel shame. You won't feel regret for what you've done. That's not all you won't feel. You won't feel joy either. You won't feel love. You'll shrivel up on the inside. Paul talked about those whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Thick and calloused until... The nerve endings have been burned away and you don't feel anything like a piece of meat that's been fried until it's so hard. It's your conscience can be like that. Let God change your heart. If you want a marriage that survives, let God soften your attitude. Don't resist him. You know what makes us afraid? We're afraid we'll be vulnerable. Be vulnerable anyway. Walls are easier to build than bridges. But while you think they protect you, they actually imprison you. I'm preaching right now. Number five, forgive each other. Mark eleven twenty six. Jesus said, if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And there's a reason I put this as step number five. I didn't start with this. Because the hardest thing in the world to do is start. 
by forgiving somebody. When they've really harmed you and done you wrong, and some of you that are here today know exactly what I'm talking about. If somebody's stepped out of the bounds of the covenant of marriage and been unfaithful, and I stand up here and I tell you, forgive that person, you're saying, how can you be that insensitive? Don't you know the betrayal that I feel, the sense of rejection that I'm experiencing? I didn't start there. The reason I didn't start there is because I want you to understand that forgiveness is a process. It's not a destination. It's a journey. You better understand forgiveness if you realize it's something you've got to walk through day by day. You see, anybody can forgive a debt of $5, right? Somebody comes up to me today and says, Pastor, I need $5. I'll pay you back next Sunday. And I give it to them. And next Sunday, they look and see me in the hallway and turn and go the other direction. (laughs) You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just say it was a gift. That's what I'm going to tell myself. That way, they don't have to, to worry about running from me next week. But if that's my, my entire life savings that I'm depending upon someday, and I probably never will retire, but maybe my wife might. But if it's my entire life savings, it's a whole lot harder to forgive then. And it depends upon the degree of harm and betrayal. Amen. I looked over and saw Brother Trahan. Brother Trahan. Amen. Amen. 75 years old. You don't get to reach the age of 75. This week, if I'm not mistaken, you don't reach the age of 75 without experiencing some betrayal, do you? Family, friends. It happens. Sister Trahan knows exactly what I'm talking about. But what you do is you walk it out and make forgiveness a journey, not a destination. You say, how do I do that? You look at the one on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. Who? The ones that nailed him to the cross. And not only that, they tell us that years later, historians say that there was a man that stumbled into the catacombs, the underground chambers under Rome. Where the Christians, when they were persecuted, would go for worship. He stumbled into one of those worship meetings. And he said, I am the man that, that pierced his side with the spear. It was the Roman centurion that had thrust the seer, spear into the side of Jesus. And he knelt and they prayed with him. And that man gave his heart to God. And so great is the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ that he could forgive the one that pierced his side God, help us to love like that, to forgive like that. Number six, and I'm closing, fight for your family. Don't write it off. There's still hope no matter how bad it looks right now. Don't give up. Take divorce off the table as an option. Take it off the table. Amen. Divorce should only be for extreme situations. Not over whether or not you differ as to you prefer Pepsi or Cola products. Oh, yeah, they get divorced over silly stuff like that today. I read about one that got divorced because the guy squeezed the tube in the middle of the toothpaste and the woman liked to squeeze it on the end. If that's all that's holding you together, baby, you are in trouble. You need to learn what covenant is. People divorce over frivolous stuff. Don't, don't, don't you even consider that. I've said this before. People ask me after 51 years of marriage, have you and your wife ever considered divorce? I said, no, murder on a number of occasions, but never divorce. Amen. (laughs) Value your marriage. 
Value it. Can I hear somebody say that? Value. Don't let go of it quickly. Don't do anything that will put it in jeopardy. Oh, I wish I had time to spend on that. Don't do anything that will put it in jeopardy. You say, but I was tempted. Don't do anything to put it in jeopardy. Your marriage is worth too much. Don't sacrifice it over something silly. And number seven, pray. No one has the authority to pray for your family like you do, Daddy. Nobody, because God designated you to be the priest of your home and the king in your house. Amen. That's a calling from God. We've been taught some things, as I've said before, that I personally think are incorrect about prayer. One of those things is this, and it's going to probably rub somebody the wrong way, but if you listen and hear me out, maybe you'll see where I'm coming from. I was taught that God hears everybody's prayer, regardless of what they pray, exactly the same way. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that when you pray in your God-assigned position and your calling, he hears that your prayer in that assignment better than he hears the prayer of somebody who is not in that assignment. I'll give you an example. As a senior pastor of this church, when I pray for this church, I do believe God hears my prayer more effectively than if I'm praying for the church across the street. Because I know the vision of this house, and I can pray for this. But if I'm praying for that church over there, I don't even know what their vision is. I don't even know what their assignment is. And I may be praying stuff that is at... at, at, at loggerheads with where they're really trying to go. But that pastor can pray for his church. Amen. When I pray for this nation, I'm one of 330 million citizens in the United States of America. One of 330 million, the ground is level. But let me tell you, who can pray, regardless of whether you like him or he's a Democrat or Republican, let's look beyond all that right now. Whoever is the president of this country is in a position where they can pray for this nation because that is their assignment and that's what they're anointed to do. And God will hear their prayer. And I can back that up in Scripture. I can back it up in Scripture. Romans 13, 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Whoa. When Jonah went to cry out against the city of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh, in his God-ordained assignment, when he heard that Nineveh was about to be destroyed, he wept, took his clothes off, rent them, tore them, put on sackcloth, declared a fast for three days across his kingdom, smeared ashes, which in their culture was a sign of mourning. And he wept. And you know what God did? He told Jonah, go back and tell him that the, 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 the devastation is coming, but it won't come for years because I have heard his prayer and seen how he has humbled himself. He prayed for his nation. In his position as the king. And dad, when you pray for your family, nobody can touch God like you can touch God for your family. Nobody. Nobody. Mom, when you pray for your family, nobody can touch God like you can touch God for your family. That is your assignment from God Almighty. God will hear you. Noah moved with godly fear, saved his family. You can save your family. Would you stand with me, please?
I want our prayer counselors to please come first. And then I would like, and I know this is going to be a challenge because this building is packed, and I'm so glad you're here. But I would like for everyone to please come as close to the front as you can because I want to pray for you. And I'm not going to put families on the spot that are in trouble this morning and say, let those who have problems come and everybody stare at them. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just ask you to come. And I want you to stand here with us, and we're going to pray for everybody. Everybody. You'll move as close to the front as you can. Make room for those coming behind you, even from the balcony. Thank you so much. We'll come forward and express to God our need. And we will experience this morning. I want to tell you in advance, we're going to experience the power of prayer in this house today. We're going to experience it. We're going to experience the power of prayer in this house this morning. While you're coming, Tracy, would you just sing? I believe you're my healer. I believe that you. what I want us to do. Husbands, I want to begin with you. Men, I want, I want you to hear what I have to say. God called you, as I said, to be a priest to your family. I talked about loving on your family and not just loving your family. I want you to, I want you to practice something, and it may stretch us a little bit out of our comfort zone, but if you can do this, it would be great. If you're visiting, you might not be accustomed to this, but, but bear with us. And if you try it, it might, it could prove to be radical in terms of the impact it makes in your family. If your family is here with you right now, your husband, your husband, if your wife is here, your children are here, I want you to put your arms around them right now. Would you do that, please? And I'm going to ask you to pray in your God-given assignment. For the family that God has given you. You pray for your family. Father, I pray right now. I pray for my wife. She's not here. I pray for my children that are grown. My grandchildren. Some of them are already grown. But in my assignment as a priest to this family. As the patriarch of this home. I'm telling the devil, you can't have my family. I'm aware of the threat. I know that you're walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom you may devour. I know that you would like to destroy my family. Find a crack that you can exploit. Find a weakness that you can take advantage of. But you can't have my family. I'm praying for them. I'm covering them in the name of Jesus. I'm laying my hands on my own family. I'm not asking pastor to come lay his hands on them and pray for them. I'm praying in my assignment as a man in my house. And God, I know you're hearing my prayer. Heal my family. Heal my marriage. Make it strong. 
Make it strong. Keep my children on the right track, God. Guide them in the nurture and the fear of God. Let them love you with all of their heart. Make my family strong. Help me to be a man of God. Help me to carry the responsibilities that you have placed on my shoulders. I'm not just supposed to provide for my family in terms of material things, God. Their spiritual futures are in my hands. Their destiny is in my hands. If your family's not here today, men pray as though they were. Men, if you don't have a family yet, you remember what we're doing because this is one of the most significant things you will ever learn to do as a married man is pray for your family. Pray. Hallelujah. 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 God is in this house right now. God is in this house. Yes, He is. God is in this house right now. He's working in our midst. I want to tell you, your prayers are not limited by these four walls either. Your prayers are are moving through the streets of Houston. Your prayers are moving through neighborhoods where your family's at. Hallelujah. And now I want us to do something else. Wives, you have the ability to move heaven with your intercession. Ladies, you know how to intercede. You you know that better than we men do. I want you to turn and put your arms around your children and your husband right now if they're here. If they're here, put your arms around them right now. Go find them. And I want you to love on them right now. And I want you to pray for your husband. I want you to pray for your wife. Man, while she's praying for you, you just go ahead and reciprocate and continue your prayer for her. You pray for those children. If they're not here, you pray like they were here. You reach your arms out and embrace them as though they were standing right there beside you. And let's pray right now. Come on, ladies, let's touch God. Because whenever you intercede, God commissions angels to be released. In the name of Jesus, Lord. I thank you for that little wife of mine that's prayed for me and prayed for our kids all these years. I thank you because she's an intercessor. I thank you that she's prayed for your hand to be on my life, your favor to be on my life. I thank you that she prayed for your hand to be on our children, to be on their lives, to be on their kids, to be on our grandkids. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Prayer works. Prayer works. It's hard to fight when you're praying. It's hard to fight when you're praying. Hallelujah. 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 You better know that little lady I'm married to prays for her husband. You better know it. I'll tell you something else, and 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 I intentionally preached, you know, a shorter message so we could have this time that we could pray. I know we had a lot of announcements, but nonetheless, I just want to say this, and I'm done. Listen, my kids were small 
I'd be gone all week preaching revival meetings. I'd fly in late on Sunday night or maybe Monday. It was usually Monday. And I would walk into the bedroom where my kids were at. You know what my wife would do? My wife every day would go into their wardrobe and she would anoint their clothes. And she would pray and she would say, God, you protect my kids and you watch over them. She would anoint my clothes. God, you keep your hand on my husband and you don't let him fall. You protect him on those airplanes. She would anoint their shoes. I'm not making that up. Some of you ladies are shaking your head. Yes, like you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You fight for your family. You don't let the enemy have your family. You don't let the enemy destroy your family. Fight for what God has given you. Fight for what God has given you. Fight. And I want to close with this. If you've been in conflict, I want you to take another major step in the right direction. It's not going to fix everything, but it's a beginning. And the reason I waited till now to do is I wanted you to pray first. But if you're in conflict in your home, on your way out of this building today, you can do it right now. Just lean over and whisper and say two words that will change everything. I'm sorry. If there's conflict, I'm sorry. Father, I pray for this congregation and I pray for our families. Lord, I don't want another divorce to happen connected with this house. I thank you that our families are strong. I thank you that our families are covered. I thank you that our families are protected. And I'm telling the enemy right now, he cannot have a one of them. Can't have our kids, can't have our young adults, can't have our children. We cover them today in Jesus' name.